Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Excellent. Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Um, we, there, we do have something exciting today, uh, a, a special surprise for you. Uh, we have some friends, some longtime friends of Northbrook that are uh, at work in South Asia. And they are here with us today, and so we wanted to give them an opportunity to share uh, a little bit of what God is doing in South Asia with you. Um, and so would you please welcome Bobby and Lynette as they come and join me. So excited to have Bobby and Lynette with us today. Um, I met them uh, a while ago. Um, and uh, so excited that they have journeyed to be here with us. And uh, we just want to hear uh, what God is up to uh, halfway across the world. I know it's a challenging time around the world, but also a time where God's still working. So take it away. But Pastor John, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And we want to first begin by just saying thank you to all of you. You have been part of our lives and part of our, the ministries of Hindustan Bible Institute for more than 15 years. We have partnered together and as a result we've been able to see lots and lots of people. Um, especially during these last 18 months or more, it has been very helpful to have the relationship that we've had with your church because you empowered us to actually go and help people who were on the streets. They couldn't go back to their homes, their shops were closed, their work was ended, and there was no economy for them, and they were on the streets. And when we wrote and shared it with your church, your church very generously responded, and we were able to help them. And over 150 people, 150,000 people were served as a result of our partnership. Isn't that exciting? That's awesome. Praise yeah. the Lord. Yeah. Praise God. Yes. God has been good. We've been able to do a number of other things. But I think a story would help put this into perspective. I'm going to let my wife share that story. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here in Northbrook. And thank you again for supporting us, praying for us, sending teams. It's always exciting to have people serve alongside us. And we are very grateful. Um, through my department and HBI, uh, we started a prayer line during when COVID started because people were very fearful of COVID and uh, so many uh, things were happening that, you know, people were just full of fear, not knowing what step to take. And there was this one couple who got a hold of our prayer line uh, and uh, his name was Lalit. He he had been suffering from colon cancer and uh, the clinic <clears throat> in Calcutta had told him there's no hope for you medically. We're sorry, we cannot do anything. So they were very distraught and then they found the prayer line. They called up and every day they would be prayed for. Um, this, uh, the, uh, my staff usually have their phones on 24-7 and they, when they talk with people, they do it on video. So people know there is somebody on the other side of the line. And they pray for them every day. In November, just before we left to come to the U.S., 
when I walked into my office, one of my staff was holding a Bible up in the air, praying and rejoicing. And then at the end, she told Lalit, this person, smile. Now you can do all these things which you couldn't do. You can sit, you can walk, you can talk. That previous week, they had gone back to the clinic. And the doctor said, we don't know what happened, but you are 75% healed. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. And they didn't stop there. They started telling their family and everybody they knew how good Jesus is. That he is the true God. He heals people from sickness and he saves people from sin. So this is what God is doing in India just one little story. Amazing, so isn't it? Amen. It's and amazing so, what God yeah. is doing. It's unbelievable. You know, our partnership is involved with a number of different things. Our commitment is to see that every Indian has the opportunity to hear, understand, respond, and be discipled into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And the way we do it is we train men and women. And every time a team comes, part of your team is involved in training people at HBI. When your pastor comes, he's ministering to all these pastors from the mission field, encouraging them because a pastor speaking one pastor's heart to another pastor's heart makes a great difference. And you know what these pastors have done? In the last 35 years, they have planted 13,500 churches. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Amen. And they've discipled over 850,000 people. And we're so thankful to you guys. And during COVID, they were told, don't come into our village. And so you know what the pastor said? Even though they were distributed from all different places of the nation, it was the Holy Spirit saying to them, tell them to come to your house. And they kept their doors open 24-7, 365 days a year. And these people started to come, and they would pray with them. And you know what is most exciting? God did miracles, and these people began to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even up till today, every weekend, they are baptizing people that came during COVID, and now we get to hear about it every day of the week. Isn't that exciting? This is amazing. God has done some amazing things for the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we're thankful to all of you for the partnership for your faithfulness, for coming, and also for actually praying for us. Thank you so much, Pastor. Amen. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? So cool. Yeah. I'm going to uh, pray for Bobby and Lynette, uh, but just want to encourage you, they will be in the lobby after our service. Um, They have a booth out there, and encourage you to stop by. I'm sure they have plenty more stories they can share with you, and... uh, so cool to hear what God is doing around the world and so thankful for their partnership with Northbrook uh, over the many years. I think we were talking like 15 years ago, you were here at Northbrook for the first time. And so, um, so exciting. So I encourage you to, to, uh, to chat with them after the service, but I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Bobby and Lynette, and I thank you for their team uh, that is serving you and has been serving you in, in a very difficult uh, time. And Father, I thank you um, that you have given them wisdom to continue to to move forward, um, meeting needs and, and serving people. 
And so, Father, I just pray uh, your protection over their team and them. I pray, uh, Father, for continued wisdom and guidance as they continue to minister. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move in mighty ways and that people would be uh, drawn to you uh, for your glory. Uh, Father, I just pray, um, I just thank you that uh, we here at Northbrook have been able to be a part of this ministry. And I uh, just pray a blessing on this ministry and Bobby and Lynette and their team. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank Bobby and Lynette for joining us again? Yeah. 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 Thanks, Bobby. Oh, so encouraging to hear how God is at work around the world. You know, it's so easy to focus on our little bubble. And um, God is a God that works around the world. And uh, he, he did not stop working during COVID. And so, so encouraging to hear that. So I heard a story about a family that had a very mischievous little boy. Any parents have mischievous kids? Don't, if they're in the room, don't look at them. This family had a very mischievous little boy, very mischievous, always getting into trouble. He was getting in trouble at school. He was getting in trouble at home. He was getting in trouble when he was at friends' houses. And finally, they just were like, all right, we got to do something. Like, this is getting out of hand. And so one night before bed, as they were gathered in his room, uh, they just, they set him down and they tried to reason with him. They're like, look, you know, we, we love you, but you really, you really got to be better. <laughs> like, you just got to try harder. But here's the thing, like, God's going to help you. Like, you know, we believe God can help you be a better boy. We just need you to just not be quite so horrible. And uh, I don't know if they said that, but they, they, they talked with him. And after they were done, the little boy seemed to take it to heart. And he was like, well, can I pray before bed? And they were like, excellent idea. Yes, you pray. And so the little boy started off and he said, Dear God, I just pray that you would make me a better boy. And at that, the parents, you know, kind of looked at each other and got choked up. They're like, yes, he's getting it. But then he continued. And he said, but if you can't, it's quite okay because I actually enjoy being the boy I am. Prayers of children. You know, there are a lot of different types of prayers, if you think about it. There are bedtime prayers, morning prayers, mealtime prayers, wedding prayers, funeral prayers, baby dedication prayers. And yes, for many of us, prayers before our favorite team's big game. Anybody pray before any of the Bucks games? Be honest. It worked, right? No. And yet there is something very unique about Jesus' prayer that we find recorded in John 17, which is where we'll be today. This prayer that is recorded in scripture is unique for a couple reasons. First, uh, it's one of the few long prayers that we have recorded in the Bible from Jesus. Uh, Most of Jesus' prayers we have recorded in the Bible are very short. Uh, For example, when he heals his friend Lazarus and brings him back from the dead, very short prayer. But in John 17, we find a prayer that takes up the entire chapter. Um, It's also significant because this prayer comes right before a very significant moment. Jesus prays this prayer right before he heads to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knows he will be arrested, and then he will be tortured and eventually executed on a cross. And so in this prayer, we hear Jesus' heart. It's his last long prayer publicly. The next time that he will pray publicly, he will be hanging on a cross. And so in this prayer, we get this window into what Jesus is feeling and thinking and hoping for the future of his disciples and ultimately the future of the world and what he desires for you and for me. 
And so today as we continue on in our series in the book of John, in John 17 we'll be reading Jesus' prayer. And I'm going to admit that there is so much we could talk about in this prayer. I mean, I'm sure books have been written on this prayer alone. And so our time today, I'm not going to cover all of it because some of you would get really irritated at me. We'd be here a while. But I do want to cover a few things as I've been reading and praying and studying this prayer, a few observations I feel like God has placed on my heart. And so my hope, my goal today is that as I share some thoughts from Jesus' prayer, that just one of these thoughts, just one of these observations uh, would stir in your heart, that the Holy Spirit would use one of these thoughts to challenge or encourage you as you attempt to live your life following Jesus. Sound good? The rest of you, is that okay? Are we, I mean, I'm going to do it either way, but it's nice when you nod your heads, yeah, so. Okay, excellent. So John 17, starting in verse 1, we read these words. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the one only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So let's stop right there for a minute. So Jesus begins his prayer by recognizing that this is it. He says, the hour has come. He recognizes that this is the end of the road, that he is about to be brutally tortured and executed. And as he begins this prayer, it's interesting that so much of this prayer is not focused on what he's about to go through, but focused on the people he's going to leave behind. And so my first observation for you, when we read Jesus' prayer, we see this beautiful willingness to focus on those around him, even in a moment of agony and stress. And I don't know if you've ever been in a difficult season. I'm sure you have. I don't know if you've ever been in a time where you feel stressed or, or the road ahead seems difficult. But in those moments, it's so easy to focus in on ourselves, on what we're going through, what we're feeling. And it's so easy to miss the needs of the people around us. And yet as Jesus is about to go through this horrible circumstance, this horrible moment in time, he is still focused on those around him. And you know what I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, is, is when you're going through a difficult season, when you take your eyes off of yourself and you focus on people around you, it doesn't take away the season, it doesn't make everything better, but it does seem to lift my spirit 
When I take myself off, my eyes off myself and I focus on how I can love and support the people around me, even as I go through a difficult season. Jesus begins this prayer and he is focused on his disciples. Continuing on, verse 13, Jesus says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. A couple things I want you to notice here. Jesus prays, he says, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Now that seems a little odd based on what his disciples are about to go through. Jesus prays that his disciples will have a full measure of his joy, knowing that the next couple years are going to be the hardest of his disciples' lives. They are about to be scattered. They are about to be persecuted. They are about to be despised. They are going to be tortured. They're going to be thrown in prisons. And 10 of the 11 disciples, right? Judas left. So we got 11 disciples left. 10 of the 11 disciples will eventually be executed. They'll be murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. And the 11th one, John, will die of old age on an island uh, in exile. And so as Jesus, knowing the future, as Jesus looks at the future, like he's got to know that his disciples are about to go through a very difficult season, the hardest season of their lives. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't pray, dear God, I just pray that they have a really easy road ahead. Jesus prays that they would have a full measure of joy in the difficult season they're about to go through. Apparently, what Jesus is praying for here is a joy that is not based on circumstances, but is based on something deeper. I don't know about you, but it feels like in 2021, joy is still a difficult thing to find. Like, it feels like the world is still tense. And one thing that I've realized over the past year and a half or so is how easy it is for me to base my joy on circumstances in the moment. How easy it is for me to place my joy or lack thereof based on the most recent social media article that I've read or the the latest news story or the latest conversation that I have with a friend. And it's become apparent to me how, in essence, how shallow my joy can be based on circumstances around me. And yet apparently what Jesus is praying for is a joy that is rooted in something deeper. A joy that is not based on circumstances, but a joy that is based on a deep, profound knowledge that no matter what we go through, that God is with us. He is not surprised by what we're going through, and he is, in fact, at work in what we go through for good. So here's a great question to wrestle with based on Jesus' prayer. Where is your joy coming from? Is your joy based on circumstances? Or is your joy rooted in something deeper than the circumstances around you? Some of this, of this week is a spiritual practice 
may want to focus on the reality of the presence of God with us and look to that reality as our joy. Now hear me, there are seasons in life where joy is, is inappropriate. There are seasons of life where we are to mourn. There are seasons of life where we are to lament. There are seasons of life where sadness is appropriate. There are seasons of life where we we should enter into the sadness in the mourning of our friends. And walking in and saying, oh, just be joyful, would be hurtful. But even in the difficult seasons of life, even in the mourning and lamenting, even in the seasons of life where we feel weighed down and heavy, the good news is there is hope that we can have joy and that joy is not based on circumstances improving. That joy is rooted in something deeper. And so even in our laments, even in our difficult times, we can have hope that joy is available to us. And circumstances don't have to change for us to find it. Jesus prays for a full measure of joy for his disciples, and it has nothing to do with the circumstances they're going to go through. Continuing on, Jesus prays that his disciples would be sanctified. Now that is a word that I don't think we hear much, even in church. Like, when's the last time that you had someone say to you, are you sanctified? Anyone recently? Like, sanctified, when I think of sanctified, I think of like an old school tent revival preacher, right? Like, are you sanctified? So what does it mean to be sanctified? To be sanctified means to be set apart, designated for sacred purpose, and made holy free from sin. I'll say it again. Sanctified means to be set apart, designated for sacred purpose, and made holy free from sin. Now, don't miss this. Jesus prays that his disciples would live in the reality of sanctification. In other words, that they would wake up each day with a knowing that they are set apart, designated for sacred purpose, made free from sin and past mistakes. Now here's the question. Were they sanctified? Were they set apart for sacred purpose because they were such amazing individuals? Were they sanctified because they were the best of the best, the cream of the crop, they never made mistakes, they always did the right thing? No. No, if you know anything about Jesus' disciples, they were not the best of the best. They were not the cream of the crop. They did not always do the right thing. In fact, shortly after Jesus prays his prayer, they are going to abandon Jesus. And the lead disciple, Peter, is going to deny that he even knows Jesus three times. So their sanctification has nothing to do with how good they were and everything to do with the work of Jesus. Everything to do with the work of Jesus. And they would go on to do incredible things. They would go on to impact the world in a profound way, to live lives of purpose and meaning with the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. But it wasn't because of them. And it was because of Jesus' work that they were set apart for sacred purpose. But sanctification didn't end with the disciples. And so here's the question. Do you wake up each day with the realization that you are sanctified, set apart, designated for sacred purpose, made free from sin and past mistakes by the power of Jesus Christ? That you have sacred purpose— Because of the work of Jesus, not your own work, because of the work of Jesus, you have sacred purpose. What you do matters. When I was about seven or eight years old, I was at a friend's house. We were playing basketball in the front yard, and uh, his his adult neighbor ran over, and he was kind of in a panic. There were like three of us playing basketball, and uh, he ran over. He was kind of panicked. He said, my dog ran away. He's somewhere in the neighborhood. 
but I'm really nervous. Could you guys help me find my dog? And as a seven or eight-year-old, being asked to find someone's dog, I immediately felt pretty important. I was like, yes, we will help you find your dog. Point the way. It was like I'd been given this like spy mission or something. I remember running through the neighborhood, just like feeling like like out of the way, move out of the way. I'm an important business, like right. And, like and eventually we found the dog, we brought it back. It was like here's your dog. You don't need to thank us, but you could thank us. Just felt, I remember feeling so important, like I had been given purpose, like to find this guy's dog. It's a seven or eight year old. I was like I have purpose. Do you wake up each day? with the deep knowledge that you have sacred purpose, that what you do matters. So parents, tomorrow when you wake up and your kids ask what's for breakfast, just say, get your own breakfast. I have sacred purpose. Okay, let me clarify something. That's, that's, that's not right. Let me clarify something. See, I think we think that sacred, when we hear sacred purpose, that sounds like something that pastors do or missionaries do, or, or maybe you have to get involved in some grand endeavor here at Northbrook to have sacred purpose. But sacred purpose begins right where you are. Parents, the way that you love your children, that's part of your sacred purpose. Bosses, the way that you steward your employees, that's part of your sacred purpose. Coworkers, the way that you work with your, with your fellow employees, that's part of your sacred purpose. The way that you love your family, the way that you love your neighbors, the way that you interact with people, that, that is part of your sacred purpose. You don't have to go look somewhere for sacred purpose. Everything you do in life, the way that you interact with the people around you, that is part of your sacred purpose. See, in the Old Testament, there were certain things and people that were designated as sanctified or sacred or set apart for religious duty. But then Jesus comes along and he makes sanctification something that is available to all of us. And again, it's not through our work, it's through his work. And so suddenly we've been all given sacred purpose. We have an opportunity to allow the power, the love, the goodness of God to flow through us to others. So every morning that we wake up, What we do matters. We've been set apart. Designated for sacred purpose. And it's not about how good we are. It's not about how good we were last week or last month or last year. It's about the work of Jesus. So what would it look like this week to wake up each day and remind yourself that you have been set apart, designated for sacred purpose? Perhaps this week in response to Jesus' prayer, some of us might want to take a sticky note, a piece of paper, and write, I have sacred purpose. And put it somewhere, we'll see it each morning as a reminder that what you do, no matter how mundane, no matter how how normal it feels, it's sacred. It matters. Jesus continues on. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, so who is he praying for now? He's praying for us. He is specifically praying for you and for me. So if you were kind of daydreaming and thinking about lunch, like you might want to tune back in. He's praying for you. He continues on. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Okay, so Jesus prays for us. And what does he pray for? He prays that we might be one. There's this theme of oneness. That we might find ourselves in God, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be constantly aware of the work of Christ for us and his presence with us. To be aware of the connection that we have with our Heavenly Father. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 16, that you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives where? In you. You have the mind of Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ... Fr- from the dead lives in you. That reality changes everything because suddenly God is not a thing to try to convince to show up in our lives. He's not something that we experience when we come to church or when our favorite song plays on K-Love. No, he's a reality that is with us and available to us 24-7. We are connected to our Heavenly Father. His Spirit lives in us. His grace, his joy, his peace, his patience, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his power is available to us. So parents, as you interact with your kids and you get to that moment where you just got nothing left to give and you're like, boarding school sounds really good right now. I've been there. You may feel like you've got nothing left to give, but you know what you do have? You have the mind of Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And if if that spirit can raise a dead man, then maybe it can give you a little extra patience with your kids. And as you allow the supernatural patience and kindness of God to flow through you, what's really cool is your, your kids get an experience of the goodness of God through you. Some of us wake up each day and fear starts to grip our mind and we look at social media or we look at the news or, or we talk at work. And we immediately get gripped with fear. And, and naturally, yes, we should be, seems like, fearful. But we have the mind of Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. The, the love of God is available to us. And, and in First John, John says that perfect love casts out fear. And so though, though we may start to feel fearful, we have an opportunity to tap into the mind of Christ. We don't have to be afraid because we are one with God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Jesus prays that we would be one with God, but it's interesting. He says, so that we might be brought to complete unity. I love how the message version puts this part of Jesus' prayer. It says, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. 
The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness. And give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Jesus prays that we might be one heart and one mind, mature in oneness. In fact, he goes so far as to say that what evidence will the world believe that he in fact was God and God loves the world? When we are mature in oneness. Oh boy. Couldn't it be when we're really good at giving sarcastic comments on social media? Then they'll believe. Couldn't it be when we're really good at calling people out in their sin? Then they'll believe. No, Jesus says the world is going to believe in me and that God sent me and loves the world when you guys are mature in oneness. That's what Jesus prayed for. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Acts 4.32, the early church. All believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. In the early church, we see a diverse group of people, people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different beliefs, coming together and being mature in oneness. Now, let me ask you, did they get along in everything? Did they agree about everything? No way. Anytime you get a big group of people together, there will be disagreements. If you're looking for a church where everyone agrees about everything, you're going to be looking a long time. I'm sure they had disagreements, but they were mature in oneness. They were one heart and one mind. They cared for each other deeply. And from time to time, people in the early church would begin to drift apart. They'd begin to squabble. And we see throughout the New Testament, Paul and the other leaders calling them back to unity and humility. Ephesians 4, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As you go on social media... Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As you interact with people that you really have a hard time getting along with, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As you interact with that person that is always wrong and you're always right, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice what Paul does not say. Paul does not say, make a reasonable effort. How many of us stop at a reasonable effort? And after that, it's like, I tried. No, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace with fellow believers. There is one body and one Spirit. So what would it look like to be mature in oneness? For some of us, it might mean pausing, taking a deep breath before we write something on social media. For others of us, it might mean taking some time to really think through a text or an email. 
For others of, of us, it might mean seeking out a fellow or follower of Christ that sees the world differently and sitting down and having coffee with them and trying to understand how they see the world. For others of us, it might mean exploring uh, the global church, seeing how we can partner with Christians in other parts of the world because we are all, in fact, one body. And when one part of the body goes through a difficult time, we all go through a difficult time. So as I close today, my challenge, as I said at the beginning of the message, would be to pick one thing from Jesus' prayer and focus on that thing this week. Maybe for some of us, it's finding our joy in something deeper than circumstances. Maybe for others of us, it's waking up each day with the realization that we have sacred purpose, realizing that how we love the people around us matters. For others of us, it might be working to be mature in oneness with fellow believers. And maybe for others of us, maybe as an act of worship to God, maybe it just simply means reading through Jesus' prayer in John 17 and asking the Holy Spirit to speak in a fresh way to you as you read Jesus' prayer. Would you bow your heads with me as we wrap up? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you for the beautiful prayer that we have recorded in Scripture. And Father, I pray that as we, as we look at your last uh, full prayer record for us before you went through your trial and execution, I pray that it would continue to speak to us in fresh ways. May we find our joy in you. May we wake up each day with the realization that we have sacred purpose, that we are connected to you. And may we live in unity as, as you prayed. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.